When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Joss Stone. Thanks for joining me for a cup of happy. I spent the last few years singing my songs in every country in the world and been lucky enough to meet incredible people from all walks of life. What really struck me is that no matter where we are, we're all on the same mission. We're all just trying to find our version of happy. So with this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to a whole host of people to dig deeper into the what, why, and how of this emotion we call happiness. I hope that with these conversations, you discover something to help you on your own quest for happiness, possibly change your mind on a few things, and along the way, share a good old laugh with me and my guests. Today's guest is an Israeli-British illusionist, magician, and world-renowned psychic. He is one of the most investigated and celebrated mystifiers. And you've definitely seen him bend a spoon or two. We talked about the time he rode a train to Exeter with Michael Jackson and how the CIA and MI5 decided to experiment on him. That was a mad conversation. And toward the end, he does a spoon-bending demo. Grab your broken watches, grab your spoons, because he's going to encourage us and help us and bring us to a place where we can do it ourselves. How cool is that? (laughs) You can join in with him at home. He's a wonderful storyteller and such a powerful presence. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce you to Uri Geller. Hello, Yuri. How are you? Hey, Joss. Thank you very much for inviting me onto your show. And just so you know, and our listeners, I'm in Old Jaffa in Israel. Old Jaffa is 6,000 years old. And I moved here six years ago with my wife, Hannah. We actually lived in England for 35 years. Yes, I thought you were in England. Wow, okay. So you've made that big move. Do you love it? I love it. Look, I was born here, um, looking out of the window, uh, maybe three kilometers from here. That's where I discovered my abilities, the spoon bent in my hand (gasps) in the kitchen. So uh, yeah, so we're back home and it's fantastic. I uh, bought a thousand-year-old building and I turned it into the Uri Geller Museum. <gasps> no, wow, that's so cool. I brought all the things I hoarded for 55 years and it's one of the most amazing museums and I'm saying this not because it's mine but because it's simply mind-blowing, it's eclectic. On one side I have Mick Jagger's guitar and on the other side of the wall I have Pharaoh Ramses II tombstone, so it's amazing. Wow, my goodness. Did you bring all that stuff from the UK? You had collected it there and you had to ship it all over. I left Israel in 1972 and I roamed the world and I got incredible gifts from amazing people. And um, like I said to you, I guess I discovered that I was a hoarder and I I collected. (laughs) No, by by the way, the website is urigeller.museum. There are lots of photographs, and if your listeners want to see the pictures, 
you just click on urigeller.museum. Amazing. Wow. You know, I'm very excited to talk to you, one, because you're an amazing human being, but also because you've been talked about in our household since I was a little girl, because my mum and my brother met you, and you won't remember this, they were shopping somewhere in Exeter or Taunton. And you came up to them when they were having a coffee. I think my mum was like, oh my goodness, it's you. And you bent, you bent a spoon for them. <laughs> wow. And she brought it back to us. She was like, look at this. Oh my God. It's Yuri. It was just so, so exciting for everyone. First of all, you still look like a little girl. So I don't <laughs> know where those years went by, but, <laughs> but no, you look amazing. But anyhow, I, yes, it must have been in Exeter because my son and myself, we were the co-vice chairman of Exeter City Football Club. And oh. believe it or not, I managed to get Michael Jackson to come to Exeter to raise, yeah, to raise yes. money for a charity. It was incredible. I mean, it was just wow. unbelievable. Can you imagine Michael Jackson, the Michael Jackson, arriving with a train? We got the Royal Train, actually, and we rode the train to Exeter. It was an amazing day, unforgettable day. What an experience. What a life you've had. It's quite something, really. You know, I'm hugely controversial, you know, because what I demonstrate is so far out. It's so yeah. different that obviously there are skeptics. Well, there are skeptics out there, but since the CIA tested me, and, you know, the CIA is the CIA, and they came to a, an amazing conclusion, which for me was an incredible endorsement. And this is what they concluded. As a result of Geller's success, in this experimental period, we consider that he has demonstrated his paranormal perceptual ability in a convincing and unambiguous manner, CIA. And this is on the CIA's website. So, wow, wow to get something that's, of that nature yeah, when I was only 27. Legit. Oh, my goodness. What kind of test did they do on you? Well, let me tell you first how I got to the CIA. I was a paratrooper in Israel. I fought in the Six-Day War. After the war, I had no money. I had a scooter, a Vespa. I became a model, a male model. I was a messenger, but I had no money. And then I started performing in people's homes. Mm -hmm. And I met judges, generals. And one day, Golda Meir, who was the prime minister of Israel, was there. And I freaked her out. I, I read her mind. And the next day, she was interviewed on Israeli radio and the presenter asked her, what do you predict for the future of Israel? And she, without hesitating, she says, oh, don't ask me, ask Uri Geller. <laughs> yeah. That was it. <laughs> the phone started ringing and Mossad, oh. I didn't realize there were Mossad agents in these house parties. They approached me. I started working for them. They did not understand how I did what I did. We're talking about 1969. They had no tools to measure my brain waves. So they called the CIA and they asked the CIA to test my abilities. The CIA jumped on the idea because, you know, the CIA thought, well, if there's an Uri Geller in Israel, maybe there's somebody like him in Russia. And they sent Captain Edgar Mitchell, the sixth man to walk on the moon, to convince me to leave Israel. And I flew straight to him in 1972. 
straight to be tested by the CIA under laboratory control conditions. So I wasn't allowed to touch the metal, the spoon, were all under bell jars. Anyhow, yeah, I basically blew their minds because I passed the test. There is a secret CIA film on my website, which is urigeller.com. I think you'll find it fascinating. And that was it. But I didn't want to be a guinea pig. I wanted fame and fortune. <laughs> well, you've definitely got that. <laughs> I was on an ego trip, Joss. I wanted to become a psychic superstar. And I lived then in New York, very close to Studio 54. And I met everyone there, from Elton John to Mick Jagger to David Bowie to Salvador Dali to Basquiat. And they were shocked when I bent a spoon for them because they had everything. They had money, they had private jets, but they couldn't bend a spoon. And that was really the beginning of my career. Well, in a way, maybe in a way it is. It is. It's quite something. Do you think that we all have the ability to do it? We just haven't opened up that part of our brain or spirit. Is there a way for other people to join? (laughs) Look, there's no doubt in my mind that we have dormant powers. Some scientists say we use only 10% of our brains. Overall, the population out there, I mean, just looking at the United States, do you realize, Joss, that 60% of all Americans believe in lost civilizations, they believe in alien encounters, they believe in telekinetic powers, they believe in fortune-telling, they believe in Bigfoot, and they believe in haunting spirits, ghosts. So the belief system is there. And when I did my first show, Joss, probably you weren't even born, or maybe you were a baby, or if you ask your parents, they will remember the yeah. David Dimbleby show, BBC. Okay. There I was sitting on the BBC and David Dimbleby hands me a spoon and he says, Mr. Geller, show us your powers. And you know what I did? I was holding the spoon and suddenly an idea comes into my mind and I scream into the camera, everybody at home, go and get your spoons, go and get your broken watches. So, you know, from 30 million viewers, I sent 15 million people to the kitchen. Everybody came to the TV set holding a spoon. And when I bent the spoon, the BBC's telephone system blows up. Hundreds of thousands of spoons were bending in people's homes. All over England. Oh, my goodness. In Leeds, in Liverpool, in Wales, in Scotland, in Ireland. It was a mass hysteria. The BBC's telephone system blows up. And that was, to me, an indication Mm. that we all have the power because it wasn't my energy that was bending the spoons through the airwaves. No, I was only a trigger. I was a catalyst. I was an an enabler to the power Mm. of your mind. When you are doing this amazing thing with the spoons, Do you need to be holding it or is it your mind? Can you do it with other objects? Can you like move a cup across the table to you and things like that? That's much more difficult, but I have done in laboratory control for MI5, for instance. Mm. I did some potograis. I did manage to dematerialize one object from point A to another room to point B, a tiny object. And that got to the NSA in America, to the National 
security agency of the United States. Some of the scientists that tested me in England were very serious people like a physicist called David Bohm, who worked with Albert Einstein, mm. Ted Baston, rocket, the, the Rolls-Royce rocket scientists were there. They, do you know, they even brought in Ross, the guy, the person, Arthur C. Clarke, who wrote 2001 Space Odyssey. Everyone is completely um, just overwhelmed by how magical this is. I mean, it is like real, this is real magic, but I suppose life is magic. It's kind of like, you know, you watch those movies and they find someone with a special power and then they just want to like chop them up into little pieces and study every single cell. Did you get a little bit nervous when you were working in these laboratory environments? Did you think they were going to not let you leave? Yes, absolutely. I was scared. I was hesitant because they took me also to a place called the Lawrence Livermore Radiation Labs in California. And they wanted to see if my mind could trigger a nuclear bomb. But I'll tell you what scared me the most. This is quite shocking. One day, I won't tell you which country it was in, Mm. I was led into a laboratory. The room was white, and inside the middle of the room stood a living pig. And the scientists look at me and they tell me, Uri, we're going to have lunch. We're going away to a lunch break. You stay in the room. By the time we come back, we want to see the pig dead. I mean, Joss, they basically asked me to stop the pig's heart. No, that's horrible. And And I'm a vegan. I'm a vegan. (laughs) Dark. So I catapulted out of the laboratory. I ran out. And since that day, I have not stepped a foot in a scientific laboratory. Oh, really? That was it? That was the last straw? Yeah. That's just, mm, no. Then then we're going into movie land here. So have they made a movie about your life? Has somebody? I hope they do. Well, look, there is a big major motion picture now being made about my life in Hollywood. They have major actors. I don't want to mention names because, you know, Joss, you and I know very well. Until it's not on the screen, screen, it's it's hard to believe. But believe it or not, 35 years ago, a British director, and you know his name, did a movie, directed a film called Mindbender. It was no other than Ken Russell. Oh, wow. Cool. Ken Russell, who directed Elton John in yeah. Tommy, Tchaikovsky, Altered States. He made a movie with an Israeli producer. And listen, it's the worst film I've ever seen. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, dear. Do you know that Albert Einstein was massively interested in psychic phenomenon with Sigmund Freud? And if you didn't know, I come from Sigmund Freud's family. My name in my British passport mm-hmm. is Uri Gera Freud. Oh. And Albert Einstein wrote something incredible. Mm-hmm. He wrote, the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious it is the source of all true art and science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe 
is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. Yeah. Wow. That yeah, says right. it all. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we have to be open-minded. We really have to believe just in ourselves. We have to be optimistic. You know, I get thousands of emails, thousands of emails every month, and many from teenagers, and I tell them, they all want, oh, Mr. Geller, please teach me how to bend the spoon. Because, you know, Joss, I know I'm boasting now and showing off, but I managed to instill spoon bending into world culture. I mean, look at the Matrix. The Keanu Reeves bends a spoon in one of the Matrix movies. The band Incubus sing about me. So it's just world culture. So when I get these emails from teenagers who beg me to teach them how to bend the spoon, I tell them, no, 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 no. Forget spoon bending. Instead, focus on school. Believe in yourself, create a target goal to go to university, never ever touch drugs, don't touch um, cigarettes. And I tell them, if you can go there with your mind, you can go there with your body. Whatever you can visualize, you can materialize. Because there's nothing that you cannot be, do, or have. Because we, Joss, we are the architects of our own lives. It's so true, but it's something that is not always that easy to tap into. I think having the confidence and having people to encourage, like yourself, you encouraging that young person really helps. So when you were very young, maybe before you had discovered that you have this amazing power, who was in your life that was encouraging you to feel this optimistic and bright about things? Was there anyone or did you find that on your own? The person who influenced me the most, look, I came from a very poor family. I'm an only child, and I have to tell you something very tragic. My father did not want children, and he oh. actually forced my mother to go through eight abortions, and she fought for my life. So yeah. I'm her ninth child, and this is why I believe in angels. I believe in spirits. I believe in ghosts. I know that my brothers and sisters are constantly around me. So oh if you ask me about influence, I guess the influence came from the other side. And because we were very poor, I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be rich and famous. So I pushed myself. Mm. And in the 70s, I was quite ruthless. I was on a massive ego trip. But I wanted to succeed. I wanted to make a lot of money. And I did it. It was a combination of positive thinking motivation, inspiration, mm -hmm. and the person who really was the driving force when I was very young, a child, was my mother. She was so happy to have you. Do you know, she's buried. I lived in a small village in Berkshire called Sonning-on-Thames. Natalie, my daughter, and my son Daniel went to Blue Coat in Sonning-on-Thames, mm -hmm. and my mother is buried in the Christian church in the graveyard but she's not you know we're jewish but i got permission from the local vicar and my local rabbi to bury my mother in the local church so it's just behind the church in solingon thames so she's right close to your kids well yeah because the school that's funny that you said it yeah. it's interesting you see you see you're intuitive because the fence of blue coat college is right adjacent to the cemetery. So your mum really, she must have gone through so much pain before she had you and then you brought so much joy into her life. 
I mean, any child brings joy into a mother's life. But after having had to lose all those babies, that's like unfathomable. You can't really think about that. And then what happened with your father? Was he present? Look, I have to say that I did love my father to the day he died. But there was always that, I don't know, that guilty feeling in me that I knew what he did to my mother. I only knew later on in my life about what he did to her from the point of view of being pregnant. But he was a very good looking man. He was extremely handsome. And I remember when I was about six years old, we walked into a coffee shop in one of the main streets in in Tel Aviv. And he was walking in front of me. He was in the army. So he had a black beret and the uniform. Mm. And I'll never forget that scene. All the women in the coffee shop who were eating little cakes and cookies and drinking coffee, suddenly silence fell. Silence fell in the coffee shop. It was like, wow. They all looked at my father. So I adored my father. Can't be a man in a uniform. Exactly. But, you know, he had girlfriends and my mother knew that. So that pierced my mother's heart. I'm sorry that we're... No, no, it's interesting because it kind of gives a sense of who you are and how you've become the way you are and why you've decided to walk forward in such an amazing way with such a difficult start, you know. And a lot of people truly believe that if they have a difficult start, meaning if they maybe were born into poverty or maybe they didn't have a great relationship with their dad or something. They feel that they can't succeed. They believe that it's not possible. You know, no one can pull themselves out of this difficult scenario, but you did. And not only have you pulled yourself out of it, you've helped so many people around the world feel inspired and feel like they have magic in their lives. I'm interested as to why Why do you have this spark? And I think your mum might be a big part of it. Well, is your question actually how I acquired this ability or this power or this energy? Is that your question? It's actually just how, as a human, you decided to walk forward and make your life brilliant. Whereas a lot of people would have gone, oh, I'm actually, I've been born into a shit situation. We haven't got very much money. And that's just my lot. A lot of people accept that. And they think it's not possible. And you're debunking that. You're saying, no, it it is possible. I've done it. But the difference with you is that you have this kind of superpower. So um, those of us that, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) believe that might just say it's because of his superpower. You know what I mean? Part of the answer, Joss. I don't think so. I think it's your attitude. Well, you know, funny that you mentioned the word attitude because I would like all your listeners to listen to this very carefully, what I'm about to say. Every morning, everyone who's listening to this podcast, when you open your eyes and you're still in bed, put yourselves into an attitude of gratitude and you will feel joy, you will feel some power, you will feel an energy and you say, oh my goodness, look, I have a house, I can have breakfast, I can drive a car, I can go to wherever I want to. Because do you realize, Joss, that every three seconds, Every three seconds, a baby dies somewhere around the world from hunger. Every three seconds. So put yourself in an attitude of gratitude. Going back to your question, I had to make it. 
Why? Because I wanted to pull my mother out of the rut. I wanted to buy her gifts. I wanted to buy her clothes. I wanted her life to change. I remember my mother was a seamstress and a waitress. And I used to walk with her miles to the flea market here in old Jaffa. And she would buy American parachutes. And we would carry the heavy parachutes home. And she would make dresses out of the silk parachutes. I felt a suffering. And I said, no way. I'm going to get you out. And I promised her. I called her Muti. I told her, Muti, I am going to become rich and famous. And in the early 70s, I took her out of Israel. And she lived with us until the day she died. Oh, that's so lovely. I want to tell you a ghost story. Will you allow me to? I would love to hear a ghost story. So my mother dies mm-hmm. in our home and we bury her in the village I told you about, in the, yes. the churchyard. Mm-hmm. And I had to get a tombstone for her. And I called a local tomb maker, you know, from granite and from marble. And I told him over the phone, you know what, come on Sunday and bring me a few pieces so I can choose which stone I want to have the tombstone made out of. By the way, I have to tell you that we're dog lovers. So all my life, I had dogs. My father brought me in a shoebox, a dog when I was one years old, and I remember that. So we had dogs all our lives. So I tell this man, come on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Okay, 10 o'clock, he rings the bell of our big gate. You know, we had very major gates. Actually, they were antique gates from Covent Garden. Mm -hmm. And I look at the CCTV camera Mm -hmm. and I see him sitting in the car and I see a dog sitting next to him on the passenger seat. So I say to my wife, Hannah, oh, this is the man. We're going to get the tombstone from him because he brought his dog and he loves dogs. Now, listen, I walk out on a very narrow pathway towards the main gate. And I look through the gate and he's sitting by his steering wheel and there is no dog. I look for the dog because the dog was sitting next to him. So I open the side gate and I rush out to the car and I look into the window. The window is rolled down and I say, where's your dog? What happened? Where is he? I saw him. And he looks at me and his face ashes and he tells me, Mr. Geller, I can't believe this. My dog died four weeks ago and I always carried him next to me in my car. I freaked out. I ran back home and I shouted, I just saw a ghost. I just saw a dog. Wow. I even get goosebumps now. Yeah, that like brings me to tears a bit. I mean, I lost my dog not long ago. So it's just like, oh, to think that they're there is such a comforting thought. I swear to you, listen, Joss, I don't know you. I I didn't even Google you. I don't know that you had a dog, but I had to tell this story for some reason. What was the name of your dog? Igor. And I lost my Dusty as well. (laughs) It's the worst thing. It's a word. Dog lovers know the feeling. We cry our hearts out when we put our dogs to sleep, but they're, they're alive. They're alive in heaven. Look, there is no such thing as death. 
And if you will allow me to explain where your dog is and why, not where all my dogs are and where our parents are and grandparents, mm. Albert Einstein proved that energy cannot be destroyed. Right. He proved that scientifically. And you know, one must ask, hang on, if energy cannot be destroyed, then what happens to our spirit? What happens mm. to our soul? We are energy. We are made from energy. And the answer is very simple. We simply pass over to the other side. And Igor is there and your other pets and everybody yeah. is listening to us now who probably are crying because we all have dogs, we all have cats, we all have parrots. Mm-hmm. And I felt it and I had to tell you the story. Ah, it's such a difficult thing, isn't it, when they're not with you in the physical, but they have to still be there some way, somehow. I like to think they can come back in another thing, you know, in a bird or, or even in a friend, you know. But I guess we'll never really know. Think oh, yeah, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, we will know when we But you well, do when know. We join you really them. genuinely feel no, uh, that, that, that you know now, you know, like you have that confidence in, in that thought. Whereas I kind of go, maybe, oh, I'm not sure. What if it's just darkness? What if it's just nothing, you know? And that thought's really sad it's awful so it's better to just believe no this is life it can't be broken it's a lovely thought i mean i always believe if you're open to something then it can be it can happen so i've walked through my whole life i'm 35 and i have been super open to seeing ghosts i've heard about them many 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 a time and i'm waiting uri I still haven't seen one and I don't know why. I feel like there's got to be some block. I need to get the crystals out and start rubbing them all over myself. (laughs) I want to see a ghost. That's so cool that you saw a ghost. I'm jealous. (laughs) Now that you interviewed me, you're going to see a ghost and I'll tell you it's going to start. And this might freak out our listeners, but from today, Mm. you are going to start noticing the number 1111. You will see it in your car, in your kitchen, in hotels. You'll freak out. You will stand with your back to a clock. You'll turn around and it'll be 11-11. And that will be a sign, the sign of angels. And it's quite extraordinary because, like, for instance, John Kennedy, 11 letters. Bill Clinton, 11 letters. Jimmy Carter, 11 letters. Barack Obama, 11 letters. George W. Bush, 11 letters. Donald Trump, 11 letters. Joseph Biden, 11 letters. Jesus Christ, 11 letters. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Really? Oh my goodness. And this will be... My birthday is 11. Oh, there you go. (laughs) There you go. That's a beginning. That's a beginning, Joss. Legs 11. (laughs) Bingo. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. You know, Joss, the last frontier is not space. The last frontier, it is really our mind. And you know, whatever we think about, we can bring about. We are unlimited beings, Joss. So what I'm asking your listeners, because we're unlimited beings, start manifesting your own creative process. Whatever the mind can conceive, it can achieve. Think that way. 
Start thinking that way. A lot of this material is in my latest book. You can have it all. Just get it from Amazon. It's a British publisher called Watkins. And on my website, you will find movies. There's even a documentary directed by Simon Cowell. Lots of interesting material. And I just want to tell you this, that all the skeptics and the people who try to debunk me and they criticize me, I always tell them a quote by Oscar Wilde. A hundred years ago, Joss, Oscar Wilde said, there is only one worse thing in life than being talked about. And that's not being talked about. Yeah. Listen, let's do the experiment. Oh, I'd love to. Okay, now, Joss, people have spoons and broken watches and gosh, I don't know what they brought that is not working. Can I join with my spoon, with my coffee spoon? Yeah. Okay, of okay. course, I know it sounds bizarre and strange and weird, but I want you to place a spoon on the radio or on whatever you're listening to this program or have it next to you or have it on a, on the, on a table. And this is what I want you to do to the broken watches. Although they're broken, I want you to wind them up. If they have a winder, wind your broken clocks, broken pocket watches, broken watches up and put them in your hand and close your hand over them. Put them in the palm of your hands and lock them into the palm of your hand. Now comes the experiment. Together with me, on the count of three, I want you to all shout out the word work. We will do it three times. Joss, are you ready? I'm ready. One, two, three, Work. One more time. One, two, three, work. Work. And the last time, one, two, three, work. work. Now, everybody at home, open your hands and look at the faces of your broken watches. If you have a second hand, did it start moving? If you don't have a second hand, lift the clock or the watch to your ear and listen. Did it start ticking? Now, if nothing happened to you, don't be disappointed because it doesn't happen to everyone. It doesn't happen all the time. But if a spoon bent or if a spoon moved or if a spoon flew across the room because that happens, let Joss know. By the way, Joss, how do people let you know? They just have to put a comment on this, I think. I think they put a comment on the podcast or on Facebook or Instagram, whatever, wherever they want to contact us. So only if something happened to you. Again, mm-hmm. don't put a comment if nothing happened because we want to hear from people whose watches started ticking, whose spoons moved or spoons yeah. bent. Yeah. I guarantee you, I don't know how many people listen to your show, to your podcast, but... Um, you're going to have a reaction, this no is doubt. so exciting. I'm going to keep trying with the spoon. This is so exciting. I can't wait to see the reaction. And wow, thank you so much, Uri. That is really brilliant. By the way, my Instagram, if you will allow me to plug it, is yeah. the Uri Geller. And also my Twitter is the Uri Geller. And also Facebook is the Uri Geller. Do you post a lot on Twitter? Do you post a lot? Yes, every two days. I donate most of my proceeds from my books today to ch- sick children. My new book is called Origella Learn How to Douse. And my latest, latest book is called You Can Have It All, 
go for it, get it from Amazon because mm -hmm. all proceeds are going to sick kids. Oh, that's lovely. So that's the book that covers the fact that people can also unlock their own psychic powers. That's the one that I do think people would be super interested to find because God, wouldn't it be cool if we could all kind of do that? I think that would just be amazing. You filled up my morning with wonder and excitement. And I feel very like, I feel quite moved by our conversation, actually. <laughs> you have the tendency to do that to people, don't you? <laughs> well, I don't know, because you're a sensitive person and you're a brilliant person and you are a believer and mm. um, you, you're born on the 11th, so you're in 11 there. I mean, come on. So you've got it all. Yeah. All right. Bless you all. God bless. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank Bye. you. Before you click off, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you, whether you listen to every episode or you've only just found us today. It means so much that you're here on this happiness journey with us. My understanding of happiness is changing and evolving every time I speak to one of my amazing guests. But what I really hope is that you're getting something out of it too. That's why we do this. I want you to be able to live a happier, more fulfilled life. And one of the easiest ways to do that, as we've learned, is to help the people around you improve theirs. So here's my challenge to you. Think about one thing that you learned from my guest today. Really think about how it could change your happiness or improve your happiness. Now, tell one person. Just one person will do. And make their day a little better. Share the love. Thanks again for listening. See you next time for another cup of happy.